Welcome to A Reason for Hope. I am your co-host, Adrian, and I'm in studio with our senior pastor, Scott Richards. Hey, everybody. And Pastor Sean Richards. Everybody, hey. (laughs) This is A Reason for Hope, a weekday Bible answer program where our live stream audience can ask our panel of Bible teachers questions about the historic Christian faith, uh, whether Christianity is reasonable or not, and uh, whether it's true, and uh, and really how to apply the Bible to your life, how to properly, as we say, divide God's Word or divide the Word of Truth. So if you are a believer or even a skeptic and you are uh, curious as to why we worship God and believe that God exists and that uh, He created us to have a relationship with Him and how He uh, made that possible through the birth, life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. So I'd encourage you to ask us a question. You can do so in multiple ways. You can simply email us if you want to kind of do it the old-fashioned way. You can email us at questionsforhope at gmail.com and uh, ask a question. Again, if it's sincere and about the historic Christian faith or worldviews or world religions as if they relate to the Christian faith, then we would love to take your questions. You can also go to our Facebook page and simply use the comments section during the live stream to ask your questions, facebook.com forward slash CCF Tucson, or you can just do a search for our Facebook page, which is Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, where we're live streaming from in our podcast studio right now. And we do this every weekday, by the way, uh, 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. You can also go to our YouTube channel, uh, just search for a Reason for Hope on YouTube, or you can go straight to our channel, which is youtube.com forward slash the at symbol a reason for the number four hope and you can find us that way now if you want to avoid social media altogether you don't want to wait for our e- your email to get answered and you want to watch the live stream have your questions answered you can go straight to our website that's calvarychristianfellowship.com that's calvarychristianfellowship.com click the watch live tab in the navigation and that'll take you to not only this live stream, but all of our services. We have a Wednesday evening Oasis service where we are now going through the book of? The book of Esther. Esther, because we just wrapped up Ezekiel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we wrapped up Ezekiel. This I was fascinated with something I was looking at on my screen. <laughs> oh, we are doing a broadcast here. <laughs> and uh, so that uh, uh, is on Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. And we do have, if you're a family, we have child care for that. So if you want to... Um, bring your family. We'd love to have you if you're in the Tucson area. And our Sunday morning services are 9 and 11 a.m., and we are currently going through the book of Acts. We are a church that teaches uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Uh, Rather than coming up with our own little topical interests, we just go through the Bible and try to understand what it is telling us today, what it told them, and what does that mean to us today. So that's everything we have to share as far as how to engage with us. Again, I'd encourage you to join us. Um, Also, if you would like, uh, if you're a part of our community, I encourage you to download our app. We have a Bible app uh, that you can download from the uh, Apple or Google Play Store. And this app is not only a digital Bible with multiple translations and the ability to take notes and highlight texts, passages that you want to memorize, etc., reading plans, all kinds of cool stuff. It also has our calendar of events. You can join and create chat groups. You can also um, watch all of our live streams on the app as well as go through archives of past series that we've taught through. And uh, what I'm really excited about is we have created a prophecy uh, series 
tab or a tag, I guess you could say. So you can actually go through and listen to uh, our most recent messages as it pertains to Bible prophecy. So I'd encourage you to check that out. And really, what's really nice about it is that Pastor Sean has, re has recorded uh, five uh, messages pertaining to why we as a church, as believers in Jesus Christ, stand with the nation of Israel. So I'd encourage you to check those out if you're someone who are wondering, uh, why do those Bible-believing Christians have uh, either such a negative or such a positive uh, perspective on the nation of Israel and the current crisis, the current conflict? I would encourage you to check those out. That really goes through the biblical landscape and the political current landscape as well as to why we stand with Israel. <clears throat> Lastly, I'd like to encourage you to uh, follow our senior pastor on the X platform, formerly Twitter, and his uh, X, <laughs> his X handle uh, is at Scott. <laughs> Not former, it's on X. It's on X, yeah. <laughs> yeah. His handle on the platform X, X. is... Yeah. Uh, at Scott R4H. So I'd encourage you to follow Pastor Scott on there. And uh, before we get to our Bible prophecy update for today, uh, we will take and get your questions. We will take a moment to pray. And we'd encourage you to join us if you don't mind. Do you pray? Sure. Yeah. Dad, thank you for the chance to be here. We invite you to be here as well. Speak your word and allow it to not only be received freely, but shared with the same heart and attitude. Give my Father and I grace as we try to not only make it accessible to your people, but especially to make it attractive to those who may not know you personally. Allow your name to be honored and your spirit to equip us for every good work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, a uh, couple of uh, major headlines uh, going on in uh, the realm of uh, the prophetically significant events uh, today. The International Court of Justice in The Hague. Uh, you may have recalled they were uh, about the business of, uh, at the behest, the government of South Africa, whose current uh, government, uh, by the way, uh, encourages uh, the uh, killing of white farmers in that particular region. I guess they looked at uh, how well Zimbabwe turned out and they want to follow suit. Thousand uh, percent inflation and things like that probably mm -hmm. in their near, near future. But uh, they went to the International Court of Justice and accused uh, Israel of committing genocide against the Palestinians and uh, called uh, for an immediate ceasefire and uh, were uh, going to uh, uh, essentially uh, ask for major sanctions against Israel, attempting to make them a pariah state. Uh, the usual accusations of being an apartheid nation were peppered uh, throughout their accusation. Making them the 40 or so nation that doesn't know what any of those words mean. We've yeah, heard yeah. this before. So anyway, the ICJ came down with a ruling, which I have to say absolutely shocked and surprised me. I was all ready for the usual suspects to say the usual things. Uh, but uh, according to the ICJ ruling, which was handed down, uh, Israel is not required, according to the ICJ, uh, to stop their campaign in Gaza. There is no call for a ceasefire. Hamas, on the other hand, is called for by the verdict of the ICJ to release all hostages immediately. Uh, again, the ICJ also said there was no uh, call for the return of Palestinians in the south to go back to the north, as we've shared with you on the program uh, beforehand. Uh, the big problem is uh, 
Hamas doesn't wear uniforms. Uh, in fact, uh, they will use women and even children as messengers and suicide bombers to accomplish their means. So if uh, you essentially allow uh, the uh, people in Gaza to go back to the north, uh, you've uh, essentially allowed uh, Hamas to go back and retrench the positions they've been routed out of. Uh, the ICJ did not see fit to back that kind of initiative. Which is, in that one sentence, four war crimes. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, if you're keeping score at home. Uh, so the bottom line is there was no return of Palestinians in the south to the north, according to the ICJ's verdict. Uh, there is no ceasefire called for on Israel part, uh, Israel's part. And uh, most amazingly, no sanctions, no uh, United Nations-backed sanctions oh. uh, issued against Israel. Uh, a uh, commentator said that uh, one thing that uh, the uh, Palestinians have referred to as uh, synonymous uh, with uh, the founding of the state of Israel, they call it the Nakba, or the disaster. Well, this was a Nakba junior in this court. Uh, it seemed like a slam dunk as far as uh, PR was concerned, mm. the political war against Israel, but it absolutely and utterly totally failed. And uh, I just once again, I think it's a sign that God is in control. But wait, there's more bad news for the uh, uh, Hamas terrorists today. The United Nations Refugee Works Association, agency, I should say, the UNRWA, we, we see these initials a lot, the United Nations uh, Refugee Works Agency, uh, ostensibly uh, working since uh, roughly about 1949, uh, with the Palestinians. Uh, the idea behind it is to provide for their basic needs, to provide education uh, for uh, their children, uh, and uh, to uh, essentially make sure that they got the necessities of life. Well, uh, the UNRWA has had an incredibly checkered past of graft and corruption. Uh, basically, uh, a number of their leaders have had to step down for these kind of charges before in the past. Child trafficking. Uh, but uh, the UNRWA took a major hit today when uh, an investigation revealed that 12 employees of the UNRWA were active participants in the October 7th massacre oh. that took place. On that level. Uh, basically, the way the UNRWA works in Gaza is that uh, it has the plausible deniability of saying, well, we're a United Nations entity. Uh, we're just here to do humanitarian work. However, Hamas determines who can work for the UNRWA and who cannot. Uh, in other words, virtually everyone who works for the UNRWA in Gaza is either Hamas by membership or Hamas sympathetic. Uh, the other thing that they've discovered is uh, these schools, the UNRWA schools. We've heard so much about uh, the, uh, the worry about Israel taking out these schools. Well, we find underneath these schools terror tunnels. We find uh, that they are basically munitions dumps. And uh, when you take a look at uh, the curriculum that uh, Palestinian children are taught in UNRWA-sponsored and administrated schools, it is something that probably would be considered uh, boy mainstream if uh, your name was uh, Hermann Goering or Adolf Hitler. Uh, the anti-Semitic uh, death to Israel uh, drumbeat 
in their official publications that are taught to, to the, the children, the curriculum that is taught there is just absolutely mind-blowing. So things were so bad with this revelation that 12 fully uh, invested employees of the UNRWA were a part of the butchering and the massacring of people on October 7th that our own State Department finally couldn't handle the stink. And uh, according to Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, a pause has been put in place regarding the United States funding of the UNRWA. Now, uh, since its inception, uh, the United States has given well over a billion dollars to the UNRWA. This was only paused the last time when Donald Trump was president, uh, called them out for the terrorist organ that they were, and cut off their funds. So uh, apparently even this administration takes a look at uh, participating in the October 7th attack as beyond the pale, and uh, the UNRWA, the wholly owned uh, subsidiary of Hamas, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of Iran, uh, is uh, feeling the pinch financially at this particular point because of all of this. And, you know, once again, uh, you know, it just reminds me so much of what we read in Psalm 33. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of man from the face of his, uh, the place of his dwelling. He looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. Nothing gets by the Lord. And uh, that which is done in darkness is sooner or later going to be brought into the light. Uh, the Houthi rebels uh, have declared that they are going to establish a Houthi triangle in that region of the world that is going to uh, render uh, any kind of oil traffic in the, the Strait of Hormuz, any kind of uh, commercial traffic in the Gulf of Aden, any kind of traffic in the Red Sea heading for the Suez Canal impossible, and to show they mean business, uh, they launched a missile and did heavy damage to a British tanker earlier today. Uh, so uh, we are seeing the United States, Great Britain, and a number of uh, nations, including now India, signing on as uh, getting involved with a war against the Houthis. Uh, to me, uh, it will be very interesting to see if uh, all this uh, sound and fury actually ends up signifying something when it's all said and done, uh, because uh, essentially the Houthis uh, are still doing business as usual. It seems to me if we really wanted to take them out, we could take them out. It just seems like we're trying to, uh, uh, well, tell them they are being very bad uh, without uh, upsetting the, the, the regime. I'm not sure uh, why we are concerned about upsetting, and that is the regime that is in Iran. Yeah, just uh, look at their graphic design department. You know they're not going to be very impressive as a military force if taken seriously. Yeah, so the, the bottom line is that is continuing to go on. Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, the idea of the United States not being mentioned in prophecy and uh, the idea that the United States may not be as united as we'd like to think. Uh, the uh, uh, issue, the big dust-up going on in Texas, uh, and, and we really want to give a note of clarity on all of this. Uh, the uh, governor of Texas essentially said uh, that uh, the, uh, the uh, federal government had no right uh, to come in and uh, eliminate the razor wire that they had put up from one of the main uh, thoroughfares of 
uh, illegals coming into uh, this country. Uh, I guess now what we've got, 25 uh, governors in this country, half of the governorships in the United States supporting uh, Greg Abbott, the governor there in Texas in the stand. He has taken uh, the attorney general of Texas, uh, Ken Paxton, uh, has uh, made a statement saying that uh, the, the administration telling them to take out the razor wire uh, is overstepping its bounds. Now, some people say, well, didn't the Supreme Court say that they had to allow uh, the feds to come in and uh, take out that? No, what the Supreme Court ruled uh, was that a stay that prohibited the federal government from trying to get involved with this uh, was lifted for this reason. Now, everybody was saying, oh, the Supreme Court, you know, and all, you know, we, you know a lot of um, wailing and gnashing of teeth going on. All the Supreme Court was saying is this particular issue is working its way through the court system, and we are not going to step in and preemptively come up with a decision until that process has actually come to pass. That's all that that said. Uh, it wasn't saying that uh, the federal government, the Biden administration, had the right to come in and take out that razor wire. It wasn't saying that, uh, again, the governor of Texas had no right to put the, the razor wire back from a federal point of view. What it's saying is all of this just goes back to where it all was before the Supreme Court ruled on that. And uh, the big debate and what's going to work its way through the court is does a, a governor of a state have the right to use his National Guard to promote the safety and welfare of the citizens of that state against, say, an invasion, uh, as it's been called, uh, you know, a, a massive breaking of the law, which I think it's undeniable is happening mm -hmm. at that particular border. Which, so, for some reason, isn't already in the governor's, you know, job description. Yeah, so that's basically what a governor does, provide for the safety and welfare of his people uh, in Texas. And, uh, boy, the, uh, the amount of uh, governors that have signed on and said, you know, we're, we're with you. In fact, the governor of Oklahoma went so far as to say, we're sending our National Guard troops down there to make sure that your razor wire is in good working order mm -hmm. and that your border is secure. So um, the, the, the bottom line is 25 states have agreed with this. How interesting. 25 states have not. Uh, and uh, once again, we're seeing, like a lot of these lines drawn, already a lot of uh you know i guess cracks being seen in the foundation of the unity of this country and the big problem with that internationally and especially as it pertains to israel is when israel's enemies see that a major defender of israel the united states is uh looking weak uh looking indecisive in terms of its own issues at home uh they are far more likely to try to get away with as much mischief as possible uh, abroad. So, uh, you know, a bad actor like Iran, which our own uh, uh, State Department has labeled the largest state sponsor of terrorism in the world, uh, sees this sort of thing, and uh, they don't want to let a good crisis go to waste. So we definitely need to be praying, not just for the peace of Jerusalem, the people of Israel, in this set of circumstances, we also need to be praying 
for our leaders in this country, that there would be a unity, that there would not be, you know, some people have called it a cold civil war uh, going on, uh, that we are able to take a stand. By the way, uh, some good news as far as uh, the United States is concerned, according to our good friend Amir Serfati on uh, his uh, Telegram site, and I'd highly recommend if, um, if you would. I wasn't interested in the Telegram uh, app at all until Amir uh, got onto it. He uh, provides just uh, really wonderful up-to-the-minute uh, updates about uh, what's happening uh, in, in the world there. Uh, but uh, the, the wonderful thing that he posted was that the United States has announced that uh, we are going to be backing Israel with a uh, major restocking of their weapons. He, on uh, his uh, uh, Telegram uh, page, uh, lists uh, this uh, details of the arm, U.S. arms deal with Israel. In the upcoming days, the U.S. will send to Israel an additional F-35 squadron, 25 F-15A1 fighter jets, a minimum of 12 Apache helicopters, as well as thousands of rifles. So uh, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, uh, we certainly want to believe that's going to be true for the United States, for our nation. God is going to bless those who bless Israel and curse those who curse them. If we're blessing them, then that's that's definitely a good thing. Hmm. So there thanks, you go. Thanks for the update. Yep. And I uh, hope you were uh, staying informed with that. I'd really encourage you to Go back and look at this week's prophecy updates. You know, especially the the beginning of the broadcast. If you missed a lot and you want to just kind of be brought up to speed, uh, Pastor Scott does such a thorough job just kind of looking at the current events, what's going on, what does it mean. So I'd really encourage you to to stay tuned. Yeah, and and oftentimes what I'll do is I'll filter through a lot of stuff that uh, so you don't have to. There was uh, one post uh, that was uh, was uh, on uh, my. Twitter feed, a, a, a poster that's associated with my Twitter feed, where a, uh, a woman who said in her description that uh, she loves the Torah and she loves Jesus said, uh, when are you going to wake up from this spell that Zionism has put upon you? Israel is going to be destroyed because they aren't God's people. And, uh, you know, again, I, I reacted to that in this, this guy's feed and he said, oh, you should read the, the, the whole thread that she put out, you know, all the anti-Semitic uh, venom. And I said, actually, I'd rather prepare for a colonoscopy than do that. But, uh, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's the kind of in-depth uh, interaction you get on um, Scott R4H yeah. at Twitter.com. So. <laughs> well, we, uh, well we, we, we had a couple questions, but um, we have plenty of time to get to those. I was thinking about this today, Scott, and I, I was thinking, what if I was sitting to someone who was not a believer, who didn't quite understand why Christians would, and who was buying into the deceptive narrative of the pro-Palestinian from the river to the sea, who don't know what that means. And I was thinking, and I, I had this thought, and I thought, Pastor Scott will correct me if I'm wrong. You can believe the biblical pr perspective about the nation of Israel, the gathering of the diaspora, being brought to the land, all those things. You can even support Zionism in the sense that Jews should have a homeland and it should be where it is. <laughs> At the same time, not condone every single thing that the IDF or the Israeli government or the prime minister does and says. No. Somehow, no. for some reason, people, at least this is the impression I'm getting, that to support and bless Israel means we condone every single act or behavior. The Jew hatred that's dominating 
social spheres right now is not rational, and none of the arguments that are being put forward have any bearing to them. So if you're talking to someone who's actually objective, if they have just maintained neutrality on every issue and just says, I know nothing, then that's ultimately (laughs) going to be where you have a blank slate. You just walk them through the history of Israel and what's put them there, not just going back to the time of Jesus, just in the last hundred and something years, and ask them, okay, would a nation have the right to self-preservation, despite the fact that in every nation's history, in every war's history, ugly things have had to happen as a result. Mm -hmm. If they look at the fact that the Muslims were the ones who invaded in the 1948 invasion, that the Palestinian refugee crisis was a result of the citizens of Israel that were not Jewish, abandoning their homes with the expectation of their neighbors being slaughtered so they could loot it, that's not cool. And if that's the premise of this refugee crisis, anyone rationally would look at that and go, you kind of dug your own trench, now you have to deal with the trench foot. If you're going to then say, well, these are human beings, these aren't the decisions of their um, parents, these are the kids now that are suffering with these kinds of decisions, okay, what gestures of goodwill have we shown that this new generation of Palestinians have put towards the Hebrew people? And what has it been? continuing to fire rockets, continuing to indoctrinate each other and the world in the idea that the Jews are evil because Jews, and of course, if they're willing to do a bit of homework, the Quran says so, if they maintain secular positions, and you can say, whoever's religious motivations are at work here, the Islamists are the ones that are actually hostile in this regard. And if someone's irrationally hostile, they need to either be culled or calmed. There is no third option when you see the kind of rhetoric that far for the mouse and uh, yeah. what, who's the latest uh, stuffed animal educating uh, kids? Now will the bee? Yeah. Um, oh, I thought they both died. Yeah, the, they were both they, killed by Jews. Yeah, they yeah. Uh, had him beaten to death on screen by a guy dressed up as an IDF guy because he got the key to Palestine and uh, he wanted to get it from him by bribing him with money. These are kid shows. Point being made is this. When we're talking about this issue, rationality, pure logic, Professor Spock and all that stuff, never 100% dictates any conversation. If you show me that kind of individual, I'd love to hang out with them on Saturdays because I could use some relief. But the problem is most of the rhetoric here is either handed to them by their cultural tribes or is just being caught up in the frenzy of emotion of whatever groups that they're letting them think for them on these regards. Not that they'd phrase it that way, but that's ultimately what this comes down to. When it's then thrown back in your face and saying, well, you support genocide, well, you support the extermination of the Arabs, and you just hate, you're Islamophobic and whatever, that doesn't mean anything to me anymore because it doesn't mean anything to them either. They just throw out words Mm -hmm. to emotionally manipulate people. And like we talked about yesterday with the problem of evil and all of the uncooked spaghetti that's interwoven into it, it's not palatable. It's not going to carry the day. But people buy into it because more than pure reason dictates every decision. Mm. And in this case, it's 99% emotion and 1% intellectual deference to people that are knowingly lying to them. And it's it's fair to say, oh, well, an Israeli did such and such, and for us to say, yeah, that was probably wrong, and still if be pro-Israel. Like if, <laughs> if something genuinely did, that was done was wrong. I, I keep thinking of Norman Finkelstein, who's gotten a lot of press time and a lot of interview time for from people that I 
thought, why would they even pay any attention? But he he keeps saying things like, hey, if if I'm wrong, I'm I'm objective. I'm all about facts, facts only. And and when I hear someone push back a little bit with some facts, I I, I get this impression that he just wants Israel to not exist. And he's Jewish, and he doesn't. I mean, that's the impression. There's that a I lot get. of there's so is there's Soros. There's a significant portion of uh, people in Israel who wish the nation of Israel did not exist. They are the Orthodox. They believe that the only uh, justified uh, return of Israel had to be led by the Messiah Himself. Hmm. That it had to happen instantaneously and supernaturally, because the current state of Israel uh, took place as a result of a UN resolution they believe that uh, that Israel is is blasphemous at, in its current uh, iteration that the fact that it is a secular government is an affront uh, a, a stench in the nostrils of God of, of course they say all of this but they don't have any problem cashing the checks that the Israeli government issues to them as a result of uh, uh, David Ben Gurion's uh, initial uh, Olive Branch to them, say, no, we'll pay you guys to study the Torah because it's really important for us to have this this spiritual foundation there. They go, great, so we'll just um, study the Torah and not work and not have to serve in the IDF and and uh, basically Take up all have, the hotel rooms have, on Sabbath. have huge uh, families and uh, be on the government dole. They don't mind cashing those checks, you mm-hmm. see, but uh, to them, oh, so, so to, to paint with that broad of a brush, uh, e- even within Israel itself, is, is not accurate. Uh, the other thing that uh, we saw even with uh, Ronnie Simone, by the way, uh, I'm going out over Reach Radio, this is a dollar, daylight and a dollar short, but uh, Ronnie's going to be speaking Friday and Saturday at uh, Calvary Tucson. And uh, again, if you're watching online, you want to see Ronnie, I'd highly recommend going on out and being a part of it. His uh, you know, again, his uh, um, Israel Comes to You tour and his mm. material is just outstanding. Just really, really had a wonderful time. And if you missed it here, you can see it there. Free plug. Uh, you can, yeah, you can buy you, me Robert. a round of golf later, Robert, for, <laughs> yeah. for promoting that. But even with Ronnie here, uh, you know, even asking him questions uh, about the Israeli government, he was critical of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. You know, he pointed out that uh, in his estimation— it was uh, Benjamin Netanyahu looking the other way while huge amounts of money were being shipped into Gaza from Qatar and other nations uh, in the uh, Persian Gulf uh, because he wanted to offset and have kind of a counterbalancing act with Hamas in the south and the Palestinian Authority in the north. He could, thought he could play both of them against each other. Hmm. Highly critical. Uh, in fact, uh, he went so far as to say that when all of the dust settles from this, he wants there to be a reckoning and he wants it to be personal. Mm. So that doesn't sound to me like agreeing with everything Israel and the Israeli government right. does. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't put blinders on, say, oh, well, Israel did it, so it must be yeah. okay. But the, the minutia, if you will, of these sort of things, like how you got into this mess, right? I mean, once the dust settles and hopefully some kind of peace comes, then you can deal with all the political fallout that that is going on there. But for right now, Israel is facing an existential threat once again. Not Sam Harris's version, an actual existential threat. (laughs) Right. The the real deal. You know, when you have the uh, Houthis 
who are trying to cut off trade because uh, they're miffed that they can't shoot their ballistic missiles at a lot in the south of Israel anymore. Uh, you've got uh, you've got Hamas that is still uh, an undefeated foe. Sixty percent of Hamas has been wiped out from IDF figures, but that still leaves forty percent. And then, of course, the big question about what is the end game going to look like uh, down there? You have Hezbollah in Lebanon uh, spoiling for war with Israel. Uh, you know, it is going to happen. Uh, you know, again, Yoav Gallant, the head of the IDF, has so much as said so. We've got to settle the issue with Hezbollah in Lebanon. Mm. Uh, you have the Syrian government. Uh, Assad's government is no friend of Israel. This guy has gassed his own people. You don't think he's going to take a shot at Israel if he gets the chance to? Absolutely, mm. he will. To add to that, as we mentioned, U.S. pulling out of Iraq and Syria, the uh, the places that we had there, either ISIS, which is no friend of Israel, or Iran, which is definitely no friend of Israel, is going to fill that gap. So you take a look at all of this, and it doesn't mean we turn a blind eye to what's going on in Israel. You know, to me, for instance, I'd be very critical of uh, the so-called status quo uh, with Jordan as far as the Temple Mount area is concerned. Mm. You know, the idea that you facilitate uh, these uh, radical uh, Islamists throwing rocks down at people trying to pray on the, the Western Wall on a regular basis, I think is just absolutely intolerable. But that's government policy. Mm. I don't support that. Mm. I, I don't think that's a good thing. But it's minutiae compared to what Israel's going on right now. And, and in Israel, they're like, yeah, 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 we're going to get to that. Judicial reform, yeah, 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 we're going to get to that. Uh, but uh, for right now, we got to survive. Hmm. So that's kind of our point of view. We stand with them on the big issue of their survival. On the little issues, like whether the Jewish Supreme Court should be able to throw out any law because it's not reasonable in their estimation, uh, whether that, that's something the Knesset hmm. can argue. Uh, but uh, we stand with Israel because God stands with them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, again, uh, I, it just reminds me of the famous line uh, of Albert Camus, uh, the uh, French philosopher who once said, all I'm saying in my work is that in this world there are plagues and pestilences. It's up to us as much as possible not to join forces with the plagues and pestilences. Mm. I don't want to join force with Hamas. I don't want to join force with the uh, mad mullahs in Tehran. Uh, I want to stand mm. with God's people because God loves them. Mm. And uh, he is doing a remarkable work. One million Messianic Jews out of 17 million in the world. Uh, you know, we're starting to see God work in a powerful way, so we need to stand with them as God does that work. That's good. That's kind of what I was thinking the same along the same lines, and I thought, I wonder if I am thinking about this correctly. But uh, thanks for that clarification. Uh, somebody wanted to know... Uh, speaking of, <laughs> there's, it's one thing to hate God's people, but it's another thing to hate God. <laughs> and uh, that is the question we got about the term uh, misotheism. 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 It's the same as misogynist, but yeah. uh, misotheism. Hatred of women. Sounds like miso soup. Yeah. <laughs> someone, someone that worships miso soup. No. But like misanthropy, <laughs> hatred of yeah. humanity, it's that misotheism, kind of joint. Or a misotheist theist. Uh, it's... 
somewhat of a newer term, not necessarily internet home and grown, but it's a spin on ditheism, which is the belief or the despising of the concept of the gods that was prevalent in ancient Greek culture. When we're talking to or about mesotheism, we're talking to someone who doesn't necessarily reject the idea of God, but the concept emotionally unnerves them, that someone would be in charge and allow these horrible things to happen, that someone would be in control and allow things to be as out of control as we see them today. It would be the kind of position where they wouldn't go so far as atheism, but they definitely say, I've got some opinions about the way he's doing things. So when we're talking to someone who holds this position, first of all, in any conversation, make sure you're talking on common ground. You don't treat them like an atheist and try to prove the existence of God. They are willing to grant those things, and you don't need to waste time reinforcing something that they hate. So when you're talking to this kind of person, first of all, there's two ways of going about it that I think are healthy. The first is to address the, I guess, proverbial elephant in the room, that at just plain face value, if you don't emotionally like something— that doesn't mean that it ceases to be what it is. If I don't like the fact that, say, for example, uh, the Disney Corporation produced three Star Wars films, of which I have a negative perception of, and how they handled the characters and lore, that doesn't mean that the Star Wars universe now has to contend with those things or not. It's not as if God suddenly ceases to exist because I don't consider him canon. And that's usually the block that keeps them from committing to full atheism because they can be given that much credit. They aren't that thick-headed. They're not going to say, I don't like it, therefore it doesn't exist. A two-year-old could say that's silly. So when it comes to the actual approach, what is the faulty assumption? The assumption is that the things that I dislike about God are actually the case. Because, like we talked about before with the, you know, problem of moral evil, why is God letting these things happen? And they end up disproving the existence of a non-existent God, the kind of God that only exists to make me feel happy and treat me essentially like a pet. Well, the, I guess, most well-cited source on this, the maltheistic or evil God, theory proponent is a guy named Stephen Law, and what he essentially put forward is to say the idea of God being perfectly good is absurd, because you could just as equally say that God is maximally evil, and it would be all the same proof text. The problem is, and this is what the misotheist and the maltheist, the person who hates God and the person who just thinks God is evil, will both ultimately have to contend with, and it's this. Evil isn't a concept in of itself. It is an absence of moral virtue. So if I'm, and this is important to understand, and I'll try and give some examples before I, or after I give my definition, when we're talking about the concept of good, we as Christians and anyone who acknowledges the existence of a God would ultimately look to that thing's nature as the ultimate example of it, because we were created with that sort of moral inclination, right? Mm -hmm. So note, for example, and you've probably seen these uh, YouTube videos every now and again, maybe even on GodTube when that was still a thing. Is cold a thing, or is it the absence of heat? Is darkness a thing, or is it the absence of light? Is evil a thing, or is it the absence of good? 
if we can meet on the common ground that God's nature, if there is a God, which a mesotheist would at least be willing to acknowledge in part, I just don't like him. Well, what would be the sense in taking the definition of good and saying, I don't like it? Well, that would make me evil, right? I don't like the concept of good. Right. That, that sounds bad when you say it out loud now, right? Yeah. <laughs> now you take another step back and go, no, 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 I'm saying there's like, you know, the light side, the dark side of the force and this whole deal. Well, that's not monotheism, that's dualism, which again, vacates the concept of morality. Therefore, we end up in the position of the atheist in this case, where it says, I don't like that God, I prefer this concept of God, and there's the exact same reason that someone who would believe in the other God would also be able to claim. And I'll say that a little slower so that we're talking English here. If the bad God and the good God, the bad, the not good authority, still calls itself a moral authority, and the good God still calls himself God as the moral authority. What makes the good or bad God any different than the other? They're both God. They're both the definition of good, largely based on where one's standing at the time, I suppose. And that's a very, very bad place to find yourself. It's not the kind of universe that can function. So if they, and the whole reason why mesotheists usually take this point, is they have a moral ideal. They have a sense of right and wrong. And they're borrowing from God reasons to reject him, which is hilarious. It's like, you know, asking your parents for gas money so you can run away from home. And if we're going to then take this journey to its logical end, what is the actual issue? Either their emotions are misplaced, they're hating God for something he didn't actually do or claim, right? or, and this is probably more likely, they are focusing on an aspect of God that they don't want to be there and saying, I could be a better God than him. And this is the foundation of the religious nuns movement and hedonism. I want to do what I want to do in life. N-O-N-E-S, not yeah. N-U-N. Yeah, yeah. Not, not religious nuns. Not but the penguin. Yeah, they, they got their own problems. <laughs> the idea of, what was I talking about? Yeah. I think we lost my train of thought. Um, the mm-hmm. idea of me taking into my own hands, that's what I was talking about. The idea that I want to do this in life and God doesn't want me to do this, therefore I hate him for standing in the way of my fun. Mm -hmm. Once again, it sounds silly when you say it like that, but those are the issues you need to confront. Kind of like the four-year-old telling their parents they hate him because they're not going to uh, give him candy candy in the grocery store. In the Sotheist question, God's like good intentions, his goodwill, whereas a a dytheist uh, questions whether God's nature is inherently wholly good or partially e- or wholly evil also. Thus Stephen Law's theory about yeah. maltheism tries to make the concept of Zerd maximal goodness by saying it could mm-hmm. just be as maximally evil. How do you know? Yeah. And we say that's not a concept. But the Masotheist just says, I don't like some of the things, that, I don't like how he's running things. Which uh, is either like <laughs> a problem of knowledge or a problem of emotions. Yeah. And that's think what we of deal with. that movie, The American History X where you have this white supremacist, he gets busted. I mean, he's a really bad guy. He goes to prison. He befriend, he inc- uh, incidentally befriends a black inmate and then comes out of prison a changed person because he got to know, wow, this is a normal guy like I am. He has normal issues like I have. Actually, he's more of a brother to me than all these white supremacist guys that I thought were my brothers. 
this guy would defend my life. Those guys threw me under the bus and so on and so forth. And so the movie goes with him sort of having this life right. transformation. Which, by and, the way, we don't <laughs> recommend as a Christian film. But yeah. We're just using yeah, it is this pretty, it's a rough, but it's a good story. Uh, and that's the kind of hatred. There's many uh, coarse uh, language yeah. in that. And you'll never look at a sidewalk the same way again. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. But that type of hate... Uh, towards a person is what I think of when I think of this concept of hating God is I just, I don't know you, but I don't like what I think about you. Uh, I don't question you're real. I just don't like you. And yeah. It's because they have all these caricatures of who God is, these false notions of what God has done in history, and and they don't have an actual clear understanding of the Christian worldview or what mono theism or eutheism, which is God is holy good, yeah. really means. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, and you might be listening to this and it sounds like kind of heady talk, but it really uh, has very, very profound personal and practical implications. Um, probably the greatest example, I think, and I've, I've run into a number of them as far as people that actually hate the idea of uh, God as he's revealed in the Bible. But one of the most interesting to me, uh, my freshman year in college, I went skiing the day before track season started, and I blew out my knee. That was really a dumb, dumb, dumb thing to do. Uh, and uh, I wanted to come back and run the next year, so I got heavily involved uh, in physical therapy to repair the damage to the ligaments of my knee. Well, really painful process. And, uh, you know, again, the fellow who was working with me on my rehabilitation you know, every day, you know, we'd just be doing these exercises and, and, and all this stuff, at least three times a week or so. And, uh, you know, I started conversation with him about, you know, his, you know, about the things of God. You know, I just thought, well, you know, I'm here, might as well. And every time the, the subject of God came up, he would just go, what about evolution? And how can you say there's a good God? Babies die of bone cancer, and, you know, and, and, you know, and, you know, going in through all these things. And, you know, and for a while, you know, I, try to kind of play tennis with the guy as far as his arguments uh, went and, and, you know, try to answer them as they came up. But one day I think the Lord really gave me some wisdom. You know, I said to him, Ken, every time we talk about God, you seem to get really, really angry. Um, has there ever been somebody in your past that, like, was religious or something that, you know, really kind of did you wrong? And he looked at me like he'd seen a ghost. Uh, and, and he said, uh, well, you have to understand, uh, I came from a really religious home. Uh, my mom made us go to church every Sunday, you know, and I kind of laughed it off like, Ooh, man, that really sounds, you know, traumatic, you know, having, and he goes, no, she insisted we go to church every Sunday. And he said, I hated going to church. So what I started to do as a little kid, it was about five in the morning, I'd wake up and I'd open my window and sneak out and run away. Uh, until the family came back from church and, you know, I just played with my friends and, and such. And I thought, oh, you know, it kind of sounds like Leave it to Beaver or something like that. And, and I said, oh, well, you know, what happened? And he said, well, my mom decided to put an end to that. And he said, she would come in on Saturday nights and she would tie me up in bed so I couldn't sneak out my window and get out of going to church. And he was just livid. He just looked at me and he said, if that's what your God's all about, I don't have anything to do with him. Hmm. And I looked at him and I said, Ken, if that's what God was all about, I wouldn't want to have anything to do with him. That's religious people doing things in a really abusive way, but that's not in the Bible, and that's not how God looks at you. 
And the thing that really hit me in that conversation was I could have kept playing, you know, apologetic tennis with this guy till the cows came home, you know, and answer this question and answer that question and, you know, give this analogy and that analogy. But I would have been completely missing the real issue. You know, we use the term, uh, you know, misotheist. Uh, you know, that is someone who passionately hates God. And hate is a very strong emotion. And it's not just because, well, you know, I, I read uh, uh, Nausea, you know, by, uh, by uh, you know, the, uh, John Paul Sartre, and it changed my life, so I hate God. No, that's not what happens. You know, I, like I, I tell people, I've never run into anybody who is a hardcore atheist. I mean, just a passionate atheist uh, for intellectual reasons. Usually it's because of personal reasons or it's because of moral reasons or because someone who represented Christianity had really done something abusive to them. And unless we get down to those determining issues... Uh, you know, like you said, Sean, uh, you know, one of the reasons that people deny there's a God is uh, because they really hope there isn't, because they've got something that's going on in their life that they know that God wouldn't go along with, and they want to be able to do that without consequence. The idea of judgment at the end of the line, that's, that's like too much. The other thing is, you know, when I considered myself to be an atheist, it was a personal reason. My dad said that, you know, believing in God was good for little old ladies and people who didn't uh, sleep well at night, uh, but you don't need that. You know, you can get by and uh, I'm, I don't believe in God. I'm okay. Uh, you know, and I thought my dad was the smartest guy uh, I'd ever, I'd ever known. So if that was how my dad felt, that's how I felt, you know, kind of tribalism in a sense. Uh, but, you know, and, and when someone would say, you know, well, there is a God or something like that. I thought they were weird. I thought they were, you know, religious people who went to church. It was just kind of a religious country club, uh, you know. And, you know, when it, it would kind of push, come to shove in the back of my mind, I'd be thinking, so you're saying my dad's wrong? You know, I mean, you talk about, talking about your mom. I mean, talk about your dad, you know. And so that's what fueled, in a sense, my sense of atheism it wasn't because i had uh, examined all the arguments and just oh you know the best explanation is there's no god uh it was because that's what my dad believed hmm. and i loved my dad and uh respected him and uh, you know again when i became a christian uh, as we say it was kind of unlike donkey kong you know my dad you know being an attorney uh, did me a great favor he grilled me about my faith and so, you know, when people seen the fruits of it. Well, when people <laughs> when people will say to me, "Oh, doesn't it bother you when when someone, you know, says something to you on Twitter or, you know, yells at you or things like that, uh, you know, about being a Christian?" You know, I said, "No, nah, this has been done to me by professionals. It's been done to me by people whose opinions I actually care about. I these other people, you know, it's not that I don't care about their eternal destiny, but you know, kind of Reminds me of the, the old uh, saying, you know, I don't even know you. How in the world could you possibly hurt my feelings? So um, that, that, I think, is why we need to understand that terminology and where people are coming from. And boy, you want to see, uh, you know, misothe misotheism, uh, misotheism. I, it's easier to pronounce when I think of the miso soup. But <laughs> you want to see it on parade, post a, a scripture on Twitter. Mm and see the kind of responses you get.
you know, say, I really believe there's a God, and isn't that wonderful? See the responses you get. It's not, it's not, well, let's examine the, the pros and cons, and Hegel really did have a better view of these. No, no, it's not about that. And we can understand if someone was misled or abused, but there's the real motivation for haters of God is what the Scripture says, and that's because they love evil and darkness, and they don't want their evil deeds to be exposed. Bottom they line. They don't want to be accountable to moral uh, morality. Yeah. That's my point. Bye. Yeah. Our, we have a great question here from Fabio. Uh, is Sahalanthrops our ancestor? How do we know Answers in Genesis is accurate? Answers in Genesis, like any other collection of scientific minds, need to be taken on a claim-by-claim basis. We don't claim their infallibility, but they have a long track history of being consistent with their worldview. Even if you disagree with it, they definitely provide their sources. Uh, when it comes to uh, Sahalanthropus, um, like plenty of Could you other, explain what that is? It's a apparent missing link between human beings and apes that they claim based on the piece of a cranium is actually a subhuman sub-ape middleman and just like the overwhelming majority of the ex- evidences and proofs of abiogenesis macroevolution through means of natural selection yes there's more than one form of evolutionary theory um, they will jump on the smallest and the thinnest bits of ice and say, well, this piece of a skull shows and proves beyond a shadow of a doubt this was our ancestor, when I think they're jumping the gun a little bit. The idea of, you know, taking bone fragments and then building this artistic reconstruction of what their entire body would look like and not taking into consideration the fact that water and air damage could in fact warp a bone or it was just in fact a regular monkey's skull ultimately comes down to the plenty of examples in history that they've tried to do the same. Just look at the Piltdown Man and the fraud that was exposed when they supposedly discovered a missing link in 1912 and it took until about 1950 for them to realize you made this up. So I have more reason to believe answers in Genesis than I do the people putting this bone fragment forward as evidence that we have no purpose and origin apart from random chance. It's a metaphysical conclusion made with not even archaeological findings. It only takes a cursory check, but make sure you check the sources. It's true for answers in Genesis. It's true for modern universities. Trust but verify, or in this case, verify and notice a trend. Answers in Genesis, while you may disagree with some of the things that they say, do want to be honest in their findings. These groups that put forward people like, or things like Selenthoporus, or whatever you say, is ultimately trying to get grant money. I don't have reason to believe them. If it's true, it's true. But this is a little silly for just a piece of a bowl. And the thing that's, that if it's true, it's true, unlike Piltdown Man, if they did discover evidence of an ape that is extinct, whatever dating methods they choose to (laughs) use, the huge elephant assumption in the room is that this is a transitional form. This leads to this. <laughs> that <Yeah>. is <laughs> not based on evidence. That is a theory with the belief in the presumptive belief in naturalism, the idea that human beings had to have arrived by random chance processes from from non-life. I mean, you go to a high school textbook and you say, well, how did life come up? The origins. It'll say, well, uh, life uh, can only be, you know, bring life by the law of biogenesis. And they are, I'm sorry, you go to talk about cells, and they say only life can come from life. And you go to this section on origins, it says life must have arisen from non-living matter. And, and you think, well, what mechanism have we ever, ever 
figured out they can do this, there is none. And so when they find something that seems like, oh, this is kind of like an ape-like creature, it doesn't look like other apes during that time, it doesn't look like humans, it must be a missing link. That's purely It didn't look like anything. It was the top of a head. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's they'll create an entire skeleton off of a tooth or a bone fragment. Artist's <laughs> reconception. Yeah. <laughs> Real quick, let's uh, get to skeptical, skeptical's totally objective question. Yeah, thank you. How do we know Christianity isn't just another business out to make money? Uh, religion is a business. Philosophy 101, we don't have the responsibility of proving a negative. You have to prove it's a positive. When it comes to what Christianity is based on, it is two historical truth claims. First, that there's a God, and then he revealed himself in history in the person of Jesus Christ. He verified that second fact, and ergo the first, by a historically documented resurrection from the dead. Even atheist scholars like John Dominic Cross and Bart Ehrman, Gerd Ludeman, and others date the creed recorded in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-7 as dating within months of the events it reported. It's the most well-documented, earliest, and primary source ever dated to anything in history over a thousand years yeah. old. It's based on a historical fact, and if people have misused it and turned it into a business, that's on them. But the fact that Christianity is true or not is based on whether or not Jesus rose from the dead, and we have more reason to believe that than you having breakfast this morning. And, and the other thing that I would say is, if this was a business, man, the business plan really flopped, because uh, did Jesus materially prosper because of his ministry? Nope. No. He ended up with one coat on his back to, as far as his possessions were concerned. Entirely did the, dependent did, on others. Did the disciples, uh, 11 out of 12 of them died brutal, grisly deaths rather than renounce the fact they'd seen the, the risen Christ. The only one who died of old age got tossed in a vat of boiling oil for his trouble. Mm. So if you're saying that Christianity got started as a scam, an MLM, or something like that, uh, it's completely at odds with the historical facts. Hmm. Well, thanks for your questions, and we'll uh, hope you have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.